Well, today we are continuing on our series in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. This is a series based on the book written by Reverend Pete Scazzaro with the same title. And today I have the privilege of having most of my family here with me um, from Toronto, California, and Seattle. Um, my mom is here from Toronto, and then my brother Bruce. And actually, why don't you guys just stand so I, I mean people know who I'm talking about. So that's, that's my mother, my brother Bruce and his wife Lois, and then my cousin Doug from Seattle, and then my cousin Kim from Tacoma, and her husband Rick. And then if that wasn't enough, you guys can sit down. Then I have my best friend from high school, Grant Sylvester, brought his family from Calgary. So why don't you stand? And Grant and I played um, football and rugby together, and so he can verify some stories. <laughs> but I love, uh, I love being able to talk about things from our past and to hear other perspectives, especially when we get the families together, um, because I have learned that sometimes I have no clue what took place in the past or my recollection of the past is completely wrong. And we had a relatively small family. We can basically get around one table for family uh, dinners. Um, but we did some research in our family history. My mother was especially diligent in going on Ancestry.com. And the thing with Ancestry.com is you can find out facts. But you can't get the whys. And so, as I was talking about this sermon with my family yesterday, they asked what I had learned about our family of origin. And I said that I thought that we never talked about certain things, certain things we just would sweep under the rug, and we didn't talk about things because we wanted to avoid conflict. And then I said, but I don't want to talk about that with the whole family being there. To which my cousin said, he laughed and said, isn't that exactly the point that you're trying to make? <laughs> and so what was passed down from generation was a pattern of not talking about certain things. And I married into a family that also didn't talk about certain things. Let me explain. When I lived in Chicago, I had a very good friend who liked to go on golf trips. And my friend was a salesman and he would often win trips. His wife was a school teacher, and usually when the company that he'd win the trips with, they would do the trips in February, and so his wife often wouldn't be able to go, and I would go instead. And so we would usually go on golf trips in February. But we would never tell Mary's parents because it was just easier not to tell her parents that I was going on a golf trip with her staying home with three kids in the middle of winter in Chicago. <laughs> and so one year, my friend Roger and I were in Hawaii, and the phone rang. The phone rang at 4 a.m. I was startled. I got up and I grabbed the phone, and instead of checking to see who it was, I answered it, and it was Mary's father. And he said, how's the weather? <laughs> and I went, rats. 
And then I said, you know, l- let, me, let me call you right back. And so I hung up, and it was, you know, 8 o'clock in Chicago, and so I, I phoned Mary right away, and I said, your dad just called. And he asked how the weather is. And she goes, that's because a blizzard's going on right now. <laughs> and so I said, can you take care of it? And she goes, I'll call my dad. And so she took care of it and phoned, and she covered for me. But... While I was putting on sunscreen, Mary was digging out from a blizzard. And it wasn't my fault it was snowing in Chicago. But Mary wasn't happy at all, and so she went and got the neighbor next door, and they snowblowed in my car. (laughs) Covered it totally so that when I got home, I would have to dig out. The problem is, the next day, her car broke down. And so she had to shovel out the car that she buried. So she wasn't happy at all. How is that my fault? And I thought, you know, maybe it would be easier if we just told your parents. And she said, no, no, it wouldn't. (laughs) When we become Christians, we are welcomed into the family of God. And the pattern of living in the family of God may be quite different than the pattern of living from our families of origin, from the patterns that have been passed down from generation to generation from our families of origin. And sometimes they are in conflict. And in order for us to love well and live well in the family of God, we have to understand these patterns that have been passed down to us and how they have affected us. And so today I want us to talk about the spiritual discipline of going back in order to go forward. Going back in order to go forward. Emotionally healthy spirituality frees us to live joyfully in the present. But it requires going back in order to go forward. And this takes us to the very heart of spirituality and discipleship in the family of God. Breaking free from the destructive sinful patterns of our past to live the life of love God intends for us. To break free from the sinful patterns of our past that have been handed down from generation to generation. To live and love the way God intends us in the family of God. And this is not only for people who didn't grow up in church and didn't come from Christian families. No, many people have worshipped God for years and listened to thousands of sermons. They've attended small groups. You've been involved with worship teams or in choirs. You've gone on retreats, you've gone on mission trips, and yet there's no joy in the Christian life. Something is missing. A lifetime of spirituality in the church, surrounded by the truths of Christians, of truths of Jesus Christ, have not deeply transformed our lives. And for many of us here today, we are living with deeply entrenched parts of us that have been untouched by the power and mercy of God. And so when we're, doing, when we're talking about emotionally healthy spirituality, the image that we use is one of an iceberg. Because people, when they see us, they only see 10% of us. They only see the outward. But 
Jesus came to transform all of us and to go down deep beneath the surface to be transformed. And so that is what emotionally healthy spirituality is about. And the pathway to an emotionally healthy spirituality calls for two biblical ingredients to be central in our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The first is the blessings and sins of our families going back two or three generations profoundly impacts who we are today. The blessings and sins of our families going back two or three generations profoundly impacts who we are today. And the second is, discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to live God's way in God's family. Discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. What happens in one generation often repeats itself in the next, and the consequences of actions and decisions taken in one generation affect those who follow. And for this reason, it's common to observe certain patterns from one generation to the next, such as divorce, alcoholism, addictive behavior, abuse, poor marriages, one child running off, mistrust of authority, pregnancy outside of wedlock, and an inability to sustain healthy relationships. And scientists and sociologists have debated for decades whether this is about nature or nurture. And the Bible really doesn't answer that question. It only states that this is a mysterious law of God's universe. And so today I want us to look at one Old Testament figure. His name is Joseph who was able to overcome terrible family history and to blossom into a person who partnered with God to be a blessing in his world and to save the lives of a whole nation. You've heard of Joseph before. There's a number of Josephs in the Bible, but this is a Joseph from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, if you want the easy way. And for our text today, we're going to look at the first book in the Bible, Genesis. And one quarter of Genesis is about Joseph and how Joseph grows into an emotionally and spiritually mature adult who is able to live out his unique destiny in God. But as with many families... Joseph's family was characterized by incredible brokenness and sadness. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 45. This is a little into Joseph's life. This is after he's been in Egypt and things are better for him and his family now, his brothers, are coming down from Israel because there is this incredible drought and they think he is dead, but these, this is what happens. This is Genesis chapter 45, starting at verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all the attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. 
Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there was, has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to prepare for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute." Now, the basic story of Joseph began back in chapter 37. Let me just recap the story just a little. Many of you may have, um, are familiar with it, but this is from Genesis chapter 37. It says, verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And basically, you have Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And then Jacob is a father of Joseph. But it says, verse 2, this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the son of Zippah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So there's Joseph, brings a bad report to his father about his brothers. So Joseph is a tattletale. Now Israel, meaning Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. So Joseph was the favorite. He's a favorite and a tattletale. This isn't going to go well. It says, verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Then it goes on and tells Joseph has some dreams and he sort of brags about the dreams in front of his brothers. And you go down to verse 17 or the second part of verse 17. It says, So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him at a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and then take him back to his father. So basically, this is one messed up family. You read the whole of the Old Testament, and it's how God worked through messed up families. But it didn't start with Joseph. You go back to his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, you read the story of Abraham, whenever there was conflict, he lied to avoid conflict. He goes down to Pharaoh, goes down to Pharaoh with his wife, Sarah, and he's asked, is this your wife? He goes, no, it's my sister. Why? To avoid conflict. And so a pattern of lying to avoid conflict is passed down. This is exactly what happens with Isaac. It's what happens with Jacob. And they pass down this pattern of lying to avoid conflict and then favoritism of at least one parent and brothers experience being cut off from one another and then poor intimacy in marriage. Joseph's family was very sick. Joseph's father, grandfather, and great-grandfather all engaged in sinful patterns of behavior that get passed on from generation to generation. And so Joseph's brothers hate him. They hate him so much that they plot to kill him, and then they are at least dissuaded from doing that so they sell him into slavery and they lie for decades to his father that he was actually killed when in fact they sold him into slavery and sent down to Egypt. And so Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and he was taken from Israel down to Egypt. Imagine that impact on him, a young man. He lost his parents, he lost his siblings, he lost his culture, he lost his food, his language and his freedom and all his hopes in one day. And then while he's in Egypt, if you know the story, he serves as a slave in a household of his Egyptian master called Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife wants him to fool around with her, and he won't, and so she accuses him of rape, and he is sent to prison for many years. While he's in prison, the door is open for his release, but he is forgotten again and he stays in prison for probably 10 to 13 years. What a waste. What a betrayal. His life to the age of 30 appears to be a tragedy. If anyone should have been filled with bitterness and rage for much of his family pain, it was Joseph. But Joseph was able to overcome this. He remained a faithful seeker and lover of God even when these horrific events outside his control swirled around him. And scripture says that Joseph walked with God. And then the incredible happens. Pharaoh has a dream. Someone needs to interpret it. They can't find anyone to interpret it. They remember Joseph can interpret dreams. 
And so he is taken out of, pulled out of the pit of prison, interprets a dream, and he is made the second most powerful person in all of Egypt next to Pharaoh. Egypt at that time was the superpower of the day. And he continued to walk with the Lord until his dying days. And he partnered with the God of Israel to be a blessing to his family, to Egypt, and to the whole world. And he was able to honor and bless his family, the family that had betrayed him. So how did Joseph free himself from the negative patterns of his family that had been passed down to generation to generation? Well, the first is this. Joseph had a profound sense of the bigness of God. Joseph repeatedly affirmed the large loving hand of God through all his pain and sufferings. Listen again to chapter 45, verse 8. He said, So then, he's speaking to his brothers, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. In doing this, he affirmed that God can mysteriously lead us into this purpose through darkness and obscurity. Joseph understood that in all the things, in all things, God is able to work things out for good, in spite of through and against all human efforts to orchestrate otherwise. Now don't get me wrong. Why did God allow Joseph to go through such pain and loss? I don't know. And much of it remains a mystery. But God is a God who can bring good out of bad and victory out of loss. And Joseph understood this and he trusted in God. And it's probably one of those truths that sustained Joseph when he was in prison over those decades. In prison for something he never did. The second thing Joseph did was he admitted the sadness and losses of his family. Most of us are resistant to going back and feeling the hurt and the pain of our past. But Joseph does that. But it can feel like a black hole and an abyss that might swallow us up to go back and feel the pains. Yet Joseph repeatedly wept when he was re reunited with his family. He wept so loudly that all the attendants heard and even Pharaoh's household heard about it. He did not say, oh, it didn't matter. Absolutely not. He felt the pain. He grieved his losses and he wept before God. He didn't minimize or rationalize the painful years, but out of his honest grieving of the pain, he truly was able to forgive his family and then to bless the brothers who had betrayed him. And he took leadership of his family to the end of his days, providing for them financially, emotionally, and spiritually. He saw how God had sent him ahead to Egypt to save their lives and the lives of the nation. The next thing Joseph did was Joseph rewrote his life script according to Scripture. Joseph rewrote his life script according to Scripture. 
Joseph had plenty of reasons to say, you know, my life is a mistake. I am worthless. I should never trust anyone. I am never going to take any risks. But our families and traumatic events in our histories often hand us a negative message or scripts that are unconsciously, they unconsciously direct our lives. But Joseph was aware of his past, but he was aware of who God was. And he honestly dealt with his past, and then he opened the door to God's future, rewriting his life script with God. And then the final thing Joseph did was, Joseph partnered with God to be a blessing. He partnered with God to be a blessing. Joseph could have destroyed his brothers. He could have had them wiped out. But instead, he joined with God to bless them. And for many of us, this might feel like an impossible path to take. And it is without God's help. And here's the good news in this whole story. This whole story, the whole story of Joseph, points us to Jesus. Jesus is the one who was sold and betrayed by one of his own disciples. He suffered unjustly, but all the wrong that happened to Jesus turned out to be a blessing for us. And when you read the story of Joseph, Joseph saved many lives when there was a great famine. And Joseph said that God had put him in this position for the saving of many lives. And Jesus offers us salvation and is a blessing to everyone. There is a famine in our world, but it is a spiritual famine. And the only food that satisfies is Jesus himself, the bread of life. People intended to kill Jesus, But God turned that around for good. And through his death and resurrection, we have the hope of eternal life. And we are like the brothers who come to Joseph and beg for forgiveness. And instead of judgment, Jesus offers us salvation. And we can be part of God's great plan when we accept Jesus through faith. And if you've never done that before, please talk to me. I would love to show you how it is as simple as just saying, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I need you. I want to be part of your family. Let me end with what the, the end story of Joseph. It's in Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Joseph's father has died And Joseph's brothers are worried now. And even after they've been with Joseph, they're worried and sort of lie to him. But Joseph still overcomes this. Verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. 
He wept. Why? Because he knows it's a lie. He knows it's a lie, but listen to what he says. His brothers came, then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And Jesus says the same thing to us today with a little twist. He says, I am God. You intended to harm me, but the Heavenly Father intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so I encourage you today, understand the bigness of God, admit the sadness and losses of our pasts, rewrite our life story with God, and then partner with God to be a blessing. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a